Bet Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you're joining us. And now hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 117 says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
Good morning. We can have all the kids go over to the door over here. It's good to see all of you there. All right, adults, are we ready? All right. The Lord be with you. All right. Have a great time down there this morning. Well, good morning, everybody. And to those that are online, um, I am Jeff Lies. I get to make a really fun council announcement this morning. Uh, first one is... We, we have the ballots out there looking for the vote of affirmation on the new council slate. So if you have that, um, that'd be great. If you uh, got in your email, if you didn't know, Hardwick has an app that we have that you can download and you can get announcements on there too. I think you can even vote on there, which is pretty cool. And the directory is on there, which is good. So first of all, council wants to thank you for your faithfulness, flexibility, in patience as Hardwick has navigated the past two years of a pandemic. This time has brought many disruptions and challenges, but we are so thankful to have now returned to full programming across campus. It is so good to see the busy life of this campus in full swing as we move into these summer months. Having all those kids walk out that door is pretty cool. You know, um, it was a ghost town a year and a half ago, so. As the real reality of this pandemic settled in, the leadership of Hardawake had honest discussions about how this could affect finances, staffing levels, programming, and even the overall structure of how our ministry is formed. Thankfully, you, the people of Hardawake, were incredibly faithful during this time with your financial gifts and time invested into our ministry. Our ministry and staff have flourished in many ways and technology has been embraced, so the word can be received wherever our worshiping communities feel most comfortable. Now, socioeconomic challenges are creating new financial pressures on us all, including Hardwike. Our ministry was blessed to start 2022 with an operating cash position of $400,000, or about three months of budgeted expenses. Thanks to strong giving last year, especially towards the end of the year. Over the last several months, income has fallen to 71% of budgeted expense, the lowest to date in five years. Operating cash has fallen to 250000 or just under two months of budgeted expenses. This trend causes concern for leadership of Hardawike, yet we continue to lean forward in faith for God's provision. How can you walk beside Hardwick going forward? Your faithful and consistent financial support is so beneficial as we go into busy summer months of travel and vacation. The giving tab on hardwick.com website provides for numerous options and ways to set up reoccurring giving, as does your local banking institution. More and more people are turning to preset reoccurring giving to Hardwick, and if you have not done so, we invite you to do so. Once again, Thank you for your time, your commitment to Hardwike in so many ways. It is deeply appreciated by staff and by council. So let's pray. Let's pray using the words of Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, life can be really hard, but you are good. And as we tell our stories we see your hand at work in our lives, yet there is uncertainty in this world. And at times it feels like the uncertainty of this time feels more uncertain than other times in this world, but we know throughout history, 
your hand has guided us and has been present. There are so many voices that attempt to pull us away from the recognition that you are here, that the victory is won in you. Let us look to drink from your living water so that we may no longer thirst. Fill us, the hungry, with good things. Lord Jesus, let us put your you first in our lives, knowing this will make us different in a world that preaches me first. Give us your strength so that we may stand firm and steadfast in you. Allow us to give generously of ourselves and our resources as you teach us to see beyond ourselves and develop your world vision. Thank you for being good to Hardwick Ministries, for being faithful to us. Bless us and equip us to leave this place telling our stories, the stories of your action and faithfulness in our lives. In your name, Lord, amen. All right, JB's not here, so Corey, you got the headset on. Headset. I guess, I guess it's all you now. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word today from Proverbs chapter 1. <clears throat> and in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33, this is what we read. Out in the open... Wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I, in turn, will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke. They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. I invite you to be seated. Well, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Corey Plockmeyer. I am an ordained pastor in the Christian Reformed Church, and Hardawike is my calling church, so it's wonderful to be here with you this morning to share God's Word with you. You may recall a couple of months ago, I was officially uh, installed here, had hands laid on me, prayed for me. I sort of did the round robin through all the different services. It was a whirlwind morning, but it's a delight to now be here with you in uh, the pulpit here at Fusion. And uh, I am called uh, to my position as Executive Director of Movement West Michigan, which is an organization that I'm sure most of you have not heard of, and that's okay. Uh, we're a relatively young nonprofit organization whose mission is to unite Christian faith leaders to serve with humility and love for the flourishing of all in the community, which is a really big, lofty idea that basically says, hey, we try to be that platform that connects churches, followers of Jesus Christ, to each other and to needs in the community. Because we really believe that if we work together, if we come together, we can actually do more together than we can do on our own. And so how we try to do that is by unifying. How do we help churches, followers of Jesus Christ, work together in their community uh, to, to engage their community in making Jesus known? So how do we pray together? How do we have resources that we can share with one another? How do we equip each other to make the name of Jesus known in the community? And how do we amplify what God is already doing in the community? 
Because so often the response of the church when we see a need is we go, hey, there's a need, we should do something about it. And we end up with food pantries popping up all over town, for instance. And we say, what if instead of all of us trying to reinvent the wheel, what if we said, what is God already doing? And how do we come together and make that grow? And so, for instance, one of the things that we've been involved in for the last six months or so uh, is we've been partnering with Bethany Christian Services to bring together all of the various churches in town who have been sponsoring Afghan refugees to come together to collaborate with each other, to support each other, to resource each other, to help each other. And so together, we have brought together 17 different churches, five different businesses, six different nonprofit organizations to support 76 different refugees from Afghanistan as they made their way here to West Michigan. And one of the beautiful things, I was just in a conversation with a representative from Bethany Christian Services, and she said, it was amazing the level of support that our refugees here in Holland had and how much more support they had here in Holland than they have even in Grand Rapids down the road. And so I believe that is what happens when we bring people together to work together. But one of the things that I've learned as we've navigated this and as I've stepped into this role, and this is where we uh, move beyond just my little plug for our organization into today's text, and that is, is that partnership is messy. It is complicated. One of the things that we do is we love to have, a, we have a podcast that we just love to celebrate stories of collaboration, stories of people coming together to work together, to set aside whatever organizational differences we might have, to work together for the good and flourishing of the community. And uh, just this past week, as we were preparing to record our next set of episodes, uh, we were trying to engage somebody who is employed by the public schools and then a conversation with one of their church partners who has been actively supporting them. Well, before you knew it, this conversation had gone uh, to her boss, to the head of HR, all just to make sure that we could actually have this conversation and record this podcast episode. And there was about seven different emails going around with three, these three different organizations to just say, are we going to be okay even to record this conversation? Because, because partnership is messy. Working together is not always easy as much as we wish it were. Because the reality is, is that many of us know the world is complicated. Right? We go to our workplaces and we work with people who, have, who come from all sorts of walks of life who view things very differently than we do, who come from different places on the political spectrum, different places in socioeconomic experiences, different racial and ethnic backgrounds that we come to the table and we all have our different sets of expectations and ideas of what it means to do life together, and it's not always easy. And I think one of the things that we have seen in recent years is that often the response to our complicated world is to try to simplify. Because life is nicer when it's simple. And so we click that hide button on Facebook for that person who keeps posting the things that drive us nuts. And before you know it, our Facebook news feed is filled only with people who think the same way we do, who talk the same way we do, who have the same set of experiences that we do. And it feels nice. We like simplicity in a complicated world. And so we divide the world into us and them. We lump people together to say, well, because you believe X, that means that also you must absolutely also believe Y and Z and A, B and C. And I don't like B, so because you believe X, therefore you must be one of them and I want nothing to do with you. Even though we've never actually had a conversation about B, we've only ever talked about X. Right? Because the world is complicated and how we love to respond to a complicated, messy, broken world is we love to make it simple. And in our increasingly polarized culture, this move towards simplicity, I would dare suggest this morning, is actually part of the problem. And what Proverbs chapter 1 challenges us 
to hold just a slightly more complicated, more difficult view. As we walk together through these verses in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33, Uh, sort of the high-level view of what we see here is that we could break this down into four different parts, right? We begin with the call of wisdom, inviting us to embrace what wisdom has to offer. And then she's going to move into this this lament of how long, how long is the the world going to continue in the same fashion? And then we get this uh, this fascinating section where wisdom lays out the consequences, right? And uh, is sort of laughing at what's going to happen to those who continue to persist in their unwise ways before finally bringing us to an alternative. And I think that this different framework, this radically different framework, is going to invite us ultimately to a not-so-simple, simple gospel. Because at the heart, what we are going to find is that there is a simplicity to the gospel that we cannot and should not overlook. That is that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And there is a simplicity to the message and the reminder and the promise that each and every one of us has been forgiven by grace alone, through, through, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And yet when we get beyond those core tenets of the faith, it's, always, it's not quite so simple. Well, let's walk together through Proverbs chapter 1. We begin with that, that call of wisdom, that, that public call out in the wisdom, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gates, she makes her speech. And what I want us to notice here in verses 20 and 21 is that what we are looking at, what we are wrestling with and thinking about is ultimately what does it look like to live in the public sphere? What does it look like to engage with people around us? Because here we have wisdom out in the open. We have wisdom in the public square. We have wisdom on top of the wall, wisdom at the city gates. And what does it look like when we are out in these public places and wisdom is crying out, hey, here, out in the open, here, when you're engaging with everybody else, please hear my cry to embrace wisdom. You see, part of what it means to navigate this complicated, messy, broken world is to constantly ask ourselves, what does it look like to have wisdom in the ways that we are interacting with the world around us? I think if Proverbs were written today, it's likely that wisdom would have been posting on Facebook and tweeting on Twitter and posting videos on TikTok, begging people to not be so simple. Wisdom asks us, invites us to wonder how does what we are saying and doing reflect on the reputation of Jesus Christ. Day in and day out, every day wisdom, as the series here at Heart Awake is asking, what does it look like to carry this wisdom every day to ask How does this reflect on Jesus? This past week, as I've been driving around the community, and I won't say where it is specifically, but I've driven past a house multiple times this week. There's a sign in the front yard, one of those purple signs that says, Jesus is Lord. And on the flagpole, there's two flags. The top one is the American flag. And underneath it, is a flag with a censored expletive directed towards the president. Now, I want to be really, really clear, right? Guest preacher talking politics, this is dangerous waters. I want to be really clear, this is not a political statement. One of the interview questions when I was asked about interviewing for my job was name two positive things about Biden and two positive things about Trump and say two negative things about each of them. 
because my bosses, my board wanted to make sure that I could navigate political waters well. This is not a political statement, but it is a question. What does the sum total of our life say about Jesus? Because when we claim the name of Jesus, and by the way, every single one of us should be living in such a way that there would be no doubt among those who interact with us, whether we have a sign that says Jesus is Lord in the front yard or not, I would hope that it would be unambiguous that we have embraced the name of Jesus. How does the sum total of our life reflect on Jesus? Because if we are casting expletive curses on our elected officials, and by the way, I don't care if you have that sign, that flag towards our current president or the former one, or the next one, or whoever is in office, I think we need to ask ourselves, how does that reflect on the other sign in our yard? If you're driving around, how many of us drive around with stickers on the back windows of our car that maybe say where our kids go to school or where it's something that we believe in, right? I've got a sign, I've got a sticker on the back of my van that names where my kids go to school. Do I stop and think about how the sum total of my actions points to an overall reputation for who I am as a person, as a whole person? Wisdom is in the public square, at the city gate, on the city wall, out in the open, saying, use wisdom in how you engage publicly. Because the sum total of who you are is reflecting more than just that immediate action. And it reflects on Jesus. So how long? How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? We see sort of three different categories of the unwise here in Proverbs chapter 1. The simple, the mockers, and the fools. And there's shades of difference to each of these, the simple, the mockers, and the fools. But underneath all of them, by the way, is a certain level of pride, which we might not be surprised to find that pride is often the opposite of wisdom. Underneath all of these is an assumption and a, a, a consideration that I have the world figured out and you don't. Right? There's, uh, the mockers are those who, who delight in... in thinking that they've got it right and you have it wrong. The mockers are those who sort of scoff at your ignorance, who scoff at the idea that you could be doing life in this way. The, the fools are those who, who are offered opportunities to understand the world and yet reject it. But it's the simple that really stood out to me as I reflected on this passage and as I thought about this message for this week. It was the simple in this, this line, though, you who are simple, how long will you love your simple ways? Because I know how easily and how readily I fall back into that desire for simplicity. How easily I fall back into those patterns of painting everybody with the same brushstroke. How easily I fall back into that desire to take the world and put it in a box that I can understand because the world is complicated and messy. And in response to a complicated and messy world, I love simplicity. And so it hit home to study this passage. How long will I love my simple ways? How long will I be content with engaging the world in ways that don't allow for a complicated messiness for life? Because wisdom suggests that the end result of this simplicity, the end result of this, this prideful way of life is disaster. 
And, and I think we need to pause for a moment because it feels a little bit uh, like juxtaposing two, compl- uh, two contradictory ideas, right? Wisdom is saying, how long are you going to mock me? How long are you going to continue in your mocking ways? And by the way, I'm going to laugh at you and mock you when, does, when calamity overtakes you. So what, what's going on here? I think there's a reality here in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, that at the heart, this is about consequences. Wisdom often is a matter of allowing things to run their course and allowing things to arrive at the natural conclusion and the natural consequences that they will end at. Because when we persist in pride, when we root ourselves in this assumption that we have the world figured out and nobody else does, the end result is disaster. Because believe it or not, I am not able to control the world such that my wisdom and my knowledge and my my way of knowing how things ought to be is going to result, result in flourishing. as much as I'm sometimes tempted to think that that may be the case. There is a natural impulse, a natural impulse that the book of Proverbs recognizes that we all have towards thinking that that on our own we can do it. That on our own, if we were left to our own devices, those people over there, they would would fall apart. But if, if we were left alone, we'd be okay. There is a functional atheism that many of us live with. That those people over there don't have it figured out, but I do. And I'd be okay. And Proverbs challenges that, reminds us that when we fall back into this prideful mentality, when we fall back into this, this assumption that I've got it figured out and you don't, the end result is disaster. It's calamity. But in the grand story of Scripture, I think we, we, we sort of have to set Proverbs chapter 1 alongside of the bigger picture of, what God, of how God invites His people to live. And I was reminded of Jeremiah chapter 29 as I reflected on Proverbs chapter 1. Now, Jeremiah 29 is is perhaps most famous for verse 11. We're coming through graduation season, uh, so I'm sure many of our graduates received little gifts and mementos and cards and notes that said something about Jeremiah 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Woo! Off you go to college. Great, right? Love it. Beautiful verse. Absolutely beautiful. But... Before we get to verse 11, we actually have to make our way through verse 7. Because in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, this is all written as a letter to the people of God who are in exile in Babylon. And in 29, verse 7, just four verses before this promise of a hope and a future, we read, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile, Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now hold on. We were talking about people who are living in Babylon. Babylon is is like worse than the south side of Holland. I grew up on the south side, it's okay. Babylon is the living embodiment of everything that is wrong in the world. Babylon is, in Scripture, the quintessential, complicated, messy, broken place to live. If there is any place in Scripture where we would expect God's people to be invited to withdraw and embrace simplicity. 
If there is any place in Scripture where we would expect God's people to be invited to cloister themselves off and have nothing to do with those broken, messy people all around them, those sinful people who embrace very different walks of life and very different ways of of living in the world, who had a very different set of values and a very different background, if there is any place that we would expect God's people to be invited to that sort of closed-off, wall-yourselves, in way of living, it would be while they are in Babylon. But instead, instead God says, seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. And and I, I just want to pause for a moment so we can just soak in how mind-blowing that would be for these people who have been carried into exile, who have been taken from their homes, who have been uprooted and have everything taken away from them and brought to this place where nobody thinks like them, where they have a very different set of values, a very different way of looking at the world, and God says, work for its prosperity. complicated. It's messy. It takes wisdom to move beyond simplicity. And I would suggest that we need to hold this ambiguity and tension, that there is a not-so-simple, simple gospel, that we need to live walking that line day after day after day. Because, friends, I would not want you to leave believing that there is not something simple about the gospel. There is a true simplicity that no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter where you are from, whether you are from the south side or the north side, whether you are uh, born and raised Christian Reformed or have you, you, this is your first time stepping into a church, there is a simplicity of the gospel that Jesus, that, that, that Jesus has died for you so that you can have life now and forever in the hope of the gospel. And I also know that it is far too possible to go to church week after week after week after week for years and years and years and never fully know the the reality that you are beloved by God simply because you are who you are and you are loved as you are and then invited from that place to a transformed life. And it is possible to go to church for years and years and years and somehow never fully embrace that gospel that God loves you. And there is a simplicity there. There is a simplicity to the gospel that we need to know. But it's also not so simple. Because the world is complicated. And life is complicated. And God calls us not to step and and stay in our cloistered bodies of people who agree with us and who think like us and who talk like us and who come from the same background as us, but God invites us to seek the peace and prosperity of those places where God has carried us. And there is an ambiguity that exists in those spaces. I was reading an article this weekend, and and I read this quote, and it it was after I'd already sent the PowerPoint, so I didn't have the chance to put it in, but I had to include it. Uh, It was by Kent Hendricks, who is a a senior editor at Zondervan, and and I was blown away by this quote. He said, holding a high view of Scripture makes space for the possibility that the text of the Bible is a conversation between God and the people of God. If Scripture feels straightforward to interpret and easy to apply, then it's possible you don't have a high view of Scripture. 
I'm going to say that again. Holding a high view of Scripture makes the space for the possibility that the text of the Bible is a conversation between God and the people of God. If Scripture feels straightforward to interpret and easy to apply, then it's possible you don't have a high view of Scripture. If Scripture is straightforward to interpret and easy to apply, I think sometimes when we try to live into the reality of this messy, broken life, sometimes our result, our, our tendency is towards that I've got it figured out mentality. I read scripture, I say, here we go, this is what it means, A means B, B means C, and C means D, and so therefore you who do this are absolutely wrong and can have nothing to do with me. But having a high view of scripture So this, God has entered into conversation with us through Scripture, and we're going to talk about it together. We're going to dialogue about it together. We're going to have hard conversations together, and sometimes we're going to come to some different conclusions, and we can still acknowledge that we have a high view of Scripture. Navigating a complicated, messy, and broken world, how do we do it? I think ultimately we have to look to the model of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says that we should, in our relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Be like Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, but rather made himself nothing. Christ, Jesus Christ, who, had, who knew everything, who had the omniscient knowledge of God, emptied himself and made himself nothing. And if we are going to embrace wisdom in how we interact and engage with the world around us, if we are to embrace wisdom as we seek the peace and prosperity of the complicated, messy, and broken places to which God has called us, the first thing I believe we need to do is we need to empty ourselves and be like Jesus. Because when we do that, friends, Proverbs 1, verse 33 suggests, whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Now, I'm going to guess that most of us know that these lofty promises of safety and, and a life without harm, that, that doesn't mean that, that doesn't translate to life's always going to be easy, right? This is not a health and wealth prosperity gospel. Four years ago, my, my sister was diagnosed with breast cancer. By the grace of God, the miracle of modern science, and thank God for chemotherapy and surgeries, an amazing team of doctors, she is now cancer-free. We praise God for that. But she didn't have a life in safety And yet I can tell you that my sister was at ease through all of it. Because she knew and she knows who she is before Jesus Christ. This verse, this, this invitation, this lofty promise is not a, a prosperity promise that life is always going to go your way, but it is an assurance that we have hope for the future, that we are grounded in something so much bigger and so much more beautiful than just that which we see in front of us today. And so we can empty ourselves like Jesus, 
and enter into these messy, broken conversations and this messy, complicated reality around us with a Christ-like emptying, a Christ-like humility, a Christ-like attitude, and a Christ-like way of being because we know that ultimately we know where our hope is. And we can trust that what matters most is living into that bigger picture of what God is doing in the world. And we know who holds the future. And so in a world which some seek to control and others view with despair, we can declare with joy and trust that our world belongs to God. in a world that is complicated and messy and broken, when we approach it with Christ-like humility, when we empty ourselves, when we embrace a not-so-simple, simple gospel. We can live in the ambiguity of that messy world because ultimately we know that we belong, body and soul, in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all our sins and sets us free from the tyranny of the devil. And he watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our head apart from the will of Father in heaven. Friends, we live in a complicated messy, broken world. But when we are tempted to embrace simplicity, I invite us instead to embrace a not-so-simple, simple gospel. That Christ-like living, Christ-like loving and Christ-like serving will send us out into the wild, ambiguous frontiers where life doesn't always have easy answers, but where instead we find flourishing and wholeness. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you invite us to step out in faith to those places where life is not always straightforward and easy. God, I pray that as we live in the public spaces of the world, that you would give us wisdom, give us Christ-like humility, give us Christ-like attitudes, so that all that we do and say can be a reflection of that hope that we have now and forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and we all say together, amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer,
now go with these words. Receive the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace, now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. Yeah.